So QR codes are big for that, right? And and no, I see a lot of people now integrating that into their packaging because you have limited space on your packaging. As much as you want to say all these different things and tell a story all at the same time, the reality is uh, you don't have enough space on your package, especially if you're smell- selling something very small. And so those QR codes become more and more important, whether it's on the package itself or in the place of sale uh, or on the shelving where they can actually purchase it for consumers. And then Hello again, food enthusiasts. My name is Chris Rajkowski, your host today for the Future Foodcast, where we talk with thought leaders in today's food industry and discuss the trends and technologies that will shape the future of food. Very happy to be speaking with Karen Cardona today, the founder and CEO of True Leaves Consulting. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be able to speak on these topics today. Well, it's... uh... The way we tend to like to start is learning a little bit more about your background. What were you doing before uh, founding the company that you're currently leading? So I've been in the food industry for about 12 years now, and I was focused mostly in product development and research and development. And I worked with a lot of uh, large CPG companies um, with uh, multinational brands, pretty much rolling out uh, any type of project that needed to go from concept stage into commercialization. Big focus on the food science portion of it, so ensuring that the product was food safe and that it was viable for commercialization, and also the labeling aspects, so preparing it for proper packaging as it got rolled out into retail stores. But I've also worked for smaller companies as well, and in those roles had a lot of uh, my hands in quality assurance and operations as well. So pretty much seeing the spectrum of needs to happen in terms of rolling out those new products into the retail market and, and every aspect and all all the turning wheels that need to get it to, to where it needs to go for a project to be completed. That's a great background, certainly a wide range of experience and expertise that really hits exactly what we like to talk about on this podcast, which of course, the future of food and looking at those trends and the technologies behind it and sustainability. So I think we're going to have a great discussion here, but before we dive into some details, tell us a bit more about what True Leaves Consulting does and your kind of the, the range of business that you support your clients with. So Tree Leaves Consulting is uh, pretty much focused on helping the entrepreneurs that are out there now trying to get their products into retail stores. So because my background is helping with the back end of things and starting with that concept of making it something feasible, uh, I really help people who might have a great idea or who have a recipe or in a product, but are kind of stuck in that in-between phase of not being able to sell in more than the marketplace or a couple of stores. It's that whole scaling up process that a lot of people find challenging. So really my focus with them is to help them on their recipes, uh, whether it's product development and prototype development and getting something uh, to a better place where it's more viable for commercialization or on the labeling end. So reviewing their labels and their regulatory, ensuring that it fits either CFIA models or FDA if it's going to be sold in the U.S. So it's a lot of things that people just don't have the time to learn about. So luckily, we have a lot of years in doing this and we can help them in a much shorter amount of time and kind of quicken their process for product development and rolling out their stuff and getting it out there as soon as possible. Yeah, certainly a great service for these entrepreneurs that are very passionate about their product, but you know they just don't really have the background. And how do you jump through all these regulatory hoops and frankly make the product more suitable to be on the shelves of maybe very large grocery stores? Yeah. So one of the key areas that you talked about, and I really want to dive into both of them, both the con, you know, the 
product content, really the raw materials and how it's brought together into a product. But then the, the labeling side we'll get into later. You know, these days, certainly there's one of the key trends is transparency, healthy foods, and the raw materials going into foods being real, less chemical additives, these types of things. What are you experiencing with the entrepreneurs you're helping in terms of content and sort of their requirements to make their customers happy? It's a really exciting time right now for product development because even the small entrepreneurs that are just starting off have the sense that what the consumer wants. And right now what the consumer wants is a clean label and something that has simple ingredients that they can pronounce and that they want to proudly serve to their families. So focus for a lot of these entrepreneurs is just getting products out there that are meeting all of these requirements of not just clean label, but either gluten-free or keto or uh, vegan or vegetarian all of these things are now servicing as the norm, as opposed to before where it was more niche to have these types of products come out. Really across every product space that I've seen, uh, people just have this interest to really focus on maintaining the product integrity of their ingredients, but as well as those that are chemically um, hard to pronounce and maybe people don't recognize them and they just want to keep it clean. And it's exciting because at home, that's how I eat. And I would, I love helping people have the opportunity to get their products out there with that type of label, with those types of ingredients. So I really help connect them to those suppliers that can provide those for them. And, and, you know, a lot still purchasing their things from either the store or online, so they don't have a consistent supply. So getting them in touch with those suppliers that can, can provide that for them. And even at times provide a certificate of analysis with each shipment. So they have that peace of mind that uh, they have the quality assurance of those ingredients. It's a consistent product and uh, they have a steady source from those suppliers. Only helping with final products. It sounds like you're going in some cases all the way back up the food or the supply chain to help identify original producers of fruits, vegetables, grains, and other raw materials. Is that fair to say? The, the people who are using these recipes to be able to actually source the ingredients. So what we give them is a recipe with the name of suppliers that they can get these ingredients from. So they have a practical way to roll it out. And it is a lot of dealing with suppliers and finding the right fit for the client. And like what's what's awesome is, like I said, just so many people moving more towards the raw ingredients, uh, raw vegetables and fruits where applicable um, organic meats when possible or uh, hormone free, antibiotic free, like all of these terms, like now these new entrepreneurs are using them because they just realize that that's what the consumer wants. So the focus for me has really been to make those relationships with those suppliers and, and help these entrepreneurs have that relationship with them directly so they can go to them after the recipe has been developed. Terms I've learned a lot this year is the phrase clean label. And it sounds like that's where a lot of your time comes in and helping materials that make up the clean label. In doing that though, you mentioned, for example, um, documents like quality criteria of those raw materials. Is that something that you're seeing entrepreneurs also looking to pass on to the customers meaning that transparency of what's going into the, the final product that the consumer is eating. The transparency is everything now. I think it's just the way of the world. Uh, we, we expect that as a consumer. I know when I go to the store and I'm trying to purchase something, I want to be able to turn around the box of whatever it is that I picked up, whether it's crackers or whatever, and see what's in the label and what's what the ingredients are going in. And so this transparency uh, just it cascades onto everybody and they realize the need for it and also just the expectation of the consumer for it. So having those relationships with those suppliers and, and knowing that they can provide 
provide an ingredient that is going to be high quality with, and these entrepreneurs are learning about that as well, right? Because the food industry is not just um, the product development end and the sourcing, it's the maintenance of making that product good every single time. And good mm -hmm. just means really uh, consistent, right? Mm -hmm. So having those suppliers that are providing those ingredients that are always the same and meeting those expectations with that extra certificate of analysis it just uh, helps the whole process move forward. And, and a lot of times that is the expectation as these companies grow, they won't even work with suppliers that cannot provide that documentation. And it becomes a necessity as the food safety program grows. So setting them up from the beginning the right way is just uh, easier for them as they grow. So they don't have to pivot so much or look for different suppliers as they go along their process. But Certainly transparency is everything and um, the consumer just has that expectation. And along with that, when uh, the company can provide more information on their websites or on their social media or on their packaging about their branding, about their product, how it came about, I think that's so important for consumers today. And it's like I said, just the expectation now. Uh, they just want to know that they can find the information easily or that there's a contact number, whatever it might be. Uh, the more open you are with your consumer, it is that repeat buyer that just keeps coming back over and over and buying the product. It's really key for the brand. So a lot of people have that willingness to share that information, which is- Yeah, I want to come, I want to come back to that topic of building trust as we talk more about labeling and, and that consumer interaction, which is really the first consumer act of interest and transparency from consumers. Like you said yourself, you want to know what's in the product. We've even seen, you know, for example- People being interested in raw material, but where did it come from? Um, local sourcing is a big topic these days. Do you, what, I guess, what's your experience working with the entrepreneurs that you have as clients, the, their level of effort to say, well, tomato, but you know, this is an organic tomato from British Columbia or California or Mexico. Do, do they buy that level of transparency of origin as well? Yes, a lot of my clients are trying to do that. And it kind of fits into their business plan. So whether or not it makes sense, like if people are planning to stay local, uh, for example, if they just want to sell in their city or maybe just their province, there's even more of a focus for that because then people recognize that and have that uh, sense of, uh, I, I know where that farm is, or this is right around my house, whatever it might be. Uh, for the other entrepreneurs or the clients that are planning to go big, they have a little bit less of interest with the local aspect of it. But just in general, where the trends are going, particularly last year and this year, it has been about hyper local. So the more you know about your product and where the ingredients come from, the better it is in the eyes of the consumer, because that's what they want. And not only that, they're willing to pay that premium for those extra, you know, whether it's a dollar more for this particular brand, because the ingredients are coming from local farms, they'll pay for that because they want to know that transparency in the supply chain. And so understanding that supply chain from the beginning and trying to partner with those farms that can do that for them. Um, I was just speaking to a client this morning who was stressing the importance of getting her peppers from a local farm and she knows how they grow them and it comes from the seed and you know, it's, it's huge for her to not only care about that for herself and her own product. I really encourage for people to share that story with their consumers because people need to know the effort that these entrepreneurs are going forward with just so that they can get that quality ingredient that's local and not just uh, because it's local, but you're supporting your local economy. And so you feel like you're being mm -hmm. a part of it. It's a whole other aspect of marketing that I think before people didn't look at as much, particularly with the big brands that are out there or the big companies, really the focus was just consistency. But now it's more like, even if things are a little bit different batch to batch, there's more of a, um, a lenience there from the consumer because you know that it, it's uh, handmade or it's small mm -hmm. or authentic, whatever it might be. So that transparency, again, in the supply chain and working with local farms or whatever it might be, a lot of 
clients have that focus right now, or sometimes they have their own farms, like they're farmers and they have this product and they're trying to create product to go to retail with the ingredients they're growing. And that's been a really cool experience to work with people like that, because they might not have a particular product in mind and they come to me and say, hey, I grow these berries. What can I do with them? Fun project for me, because then I'm like, hey, <laughs> well, the world is our oyster here. What can we do? And it's you're helping a farmer, you're helping the supply chain and get things out there that perhaps the consumer didn't have the reach to do before. So so it's a great time right now for food production and uh, innovation and everything in our space to do with product development. Yeah, I think it certainly is exciting and bringing more fresh, especially fruits and vegetables, maybe to our plates when they're not the supply line is maybe half a continent long or something like that. I can see this also maybe bringing some challenges and some additional business opportunities with, if you will, administration and logistics. If you've got one supplier of peppers and they've got, you know, effectively an infinite supplier for you, that's easy, but it maybe it doesn't achieve your local or your quality requirements. What do you see entrepreneurs doing when they're trying to source locally, but, you know, they maybe have to go to several different farms and, you know, it's, it's hard to get logistics. You don't, don't fill up a full semi trailer load of peppers. Maybe you need, you know, half a pickup truck load or something. How are these challenges? Are they challenges? And if so, how are you seeing them sort of resolved? Uh, yes, definitely a challenge. And I think very much highlighted with COVID times because supply chain was very much disrupted, even from the beginning front end of uh, product development, getting samples are a little bit more difficult now than they used to be just because everything has kind of slowed down and made it more difficult. But I always encourage my clients to have secondary suppliers for their main ingredients. They never want to be in a position where, you know, a crop goes bad or their seasonality changes or their volume all of a sudden increases and they can't meet that demand. I think that's like the entrepreneur's like worst nightmare. They finally get all these purchase orders and they're like, I can't, I can't fill the order because I just don't have, um, you know, X, Y, or Z, it could be many things, but certainly supply is not one thing you have to worry about. So having that secondary supplier that you've already vetted and made your prototypes with to ensure that it's similar to what you've already had out there, that's just good practice. And I always encourage that. And when possible, if I'm working with the client to give them those suppliers, I always give them a secondary supplier as well. So they have that and it's still meeting their requirements, whether it's organic or local, whatever it might be. And they're never hopefully stuck in a position where they don't, they can't source a particular ingredient for manufacturing their product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's there's a a very broad area that we could spend quite a lot of time on, Um, but maybe we'll take with us some of the well, the baggage that goes with the supply chain and the transparency that people are wanting there, not only the entrepreneur, but the end customers, and kind of think about how that translates to labeling. And, you know, I guess there's a, we start with the, the very traditional view of labeling, others oh, label on a product. What are you seeing as some of the sort of the trends and challenges there that you're giving guidance to your entrepreneurs for how to present attractive labeling, what should be on it? Um, what do people want to see today? I think what's funny is I think universally, when I speak to a client, they want to have everything on the label possible. You know, they'll try to claim as many things from the get-go, like, what can I say that it's local, that it was made here, small batch, authentic, whatever it might be. They want to do as many claims as possible, gluten-free, organic, like everything. Um, But one thing I always try to get them to focus on are maybe two to three claims that are really going to stand out for their product. It becomes very difficult to maintain some of these claims if you're not careful. So as much as you want to market your product and get get it out there and differentiate yourself from everyone else, you can't meet every single expectation. 
And it also makes it more difficult from the supply chain standpoint to source an ingredient when you have to meet all of these different requirements, whether it's uh, gluten-free and organic and local and uh, fair trade, you know, it just becomes crazy. So then the push really becomes on uh, the company to focus on their branding and to really have a good sense on what it is they need to represent with their product. The marketing and the food product development always go hand in hand and there needs to be focus. Uh, that way, it, every single end is covered. You know, you don't want to be in a position where you made so many claims and then you just can't make the product because you can't, again, source that ingredient with all of those different certifications or there's a, a shortage because it's such a niche thing. Uh, so it's a lot of people ask for um, the made in Canada, for example, if you're producing in Canada or, you know, made in the US. And there are requirements by law around that that you need to meet in order to make those claims. So, you know, exposing them to the rules and, and making them understand, you know, you can say that. However, you need to follow all of these rules as well and continually follow it, not just tell me like you need to do this as a manufacturer is your responsibility. Um, and that goes hand in hand with transparency, right? Like That's why the government has these rules in place so that you as a consumer have that expectation and you know that you can't just willy nilly make those claims. There are rules behind it and the manufacturer has to be held to that standard. So uh, I really try to get them to focus on maybe two or three claims at a time. They quickly understand why when you start going through the process, especially when it comes to certifications and maintaining those certifications, wh whichever ones they choose to go with. Um, if you have like five of them, it's super overwhelming and it's a job in itself and they just don't have the time for that. So really the focus is choose a couple Make sure you maintain that integrity as you keep going along your journey and uh, have secondary suppliers as you go along as well. So you're mm -hmm. never stuck in a position where you can't produce your product. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious of what you see in the future of labeling and kind of the, the scenario that we have is we're probably almost everyone is used to the experience of walking through a grocery store and going down the aisles and seeing the products and you look at the labels and that type of thing. But these days, you know, there's a large percentage of people that are walking down those aisles with a smartphone in their pocket. And yes. those smartphones have tremendous capabilities, of course, and connectivity to just about everything. Do you, what are you seeing, if anything, right now in terms of people leveraging that technology to be, I would say, an extended interface of product labeling? So QR codes are big for that, right? And and no, I see a lot of people now integrating that into their packaging because you have limited space on your packaging. As much as you want to say all these different things and tell a story all at the same time, the reality is uh, you don't have enough space on your package, especially if you're smell selling something very small. And so those QR codes become more and more important, whether it's on the package itself or in the place of sale uh, or on the shelving where they can actually purchase it for consumers. And then if people are directed towards that, they can then open up the website and see a lot more about the story and understand a little bit more about the company and the branding uh, if they choose to do that. But at least there's that transparency component again, and there's that ability to look more into that product before they make that purchase. Mm -hmm. Making that available for consumers is huge now because they do want to know everything and maybe they don't have time to learn everything at, at the store when they're at purchasing or online. So giving them that extra little push to go and learn more about the company and build that trust is uh, huge. So those QR codes have become uh, very important for entrepreneurs that are trying to do something on their packaging that gives them more of that ability, especially in Canada, because uh, we have the mandatory laws of English and French. And so you find that it 
gets cluttered quite quickly, the package, mm -hmm. just with that mandatory requirement of having everything English and French. All of a sudden, just having your name and your brand and your net weights and all those different things, just it just becomes like so cluttered so quickly. So having that QR code gives people the ability to give much more information that perhaps they couldn't explain on the package, but establishes that transparency and that trust with the consumer. Yeah, that's it's interesting what's really evolving here and especially to hear your perspective on it because again you're dealing with the leading edge of companies that are really taking the initiative to get out there and expand their marketing capability at the end of the day but that's also i would say consistently expressing in this discussion there's the words of trust and transparency uh, authenticity of, often comes up in these types of discussions as well and it seems like there's a bit of a shift into Instead of hardcore in-your-face marketing, pretty pictures and bold text, there's a lot more subtlety these days in terms of people in interested in these nuances. Are you seeing companies that are really starting to take those steps and trying to present their authenticity versus you know the, the big shouting, buy my product because it's organic or something like that? Absolutely. And I think Authenticity often comes too with, I mean, I've seen this a lot with the clients that are doing some cultural element with it. So if they're making a product uh, that's from India, they want to really showcase that authenticity because that's actually what's going to sell their product versus maybe the PC brand that's doing the same thing, but doesn't have that story bit along with it. So mm. I, I that's what really differentiates them, right? And I always encourage my clients to find that differentiation point in their product and their branding so they can stand out. So if authenticity is what's going to stand out for them, they need to scream and shout that in whichever way they can in their branding and a graphic designer or a marketing agency will help translate that into a language with visuals that helps mm -hmm. a lot with that. Um, I'm mostly on the technical end with that side, making sure that their ingredients and their products actually fit those claims. But certainly uh, that's a huge thing is to come off as transparent and authentic, especially when ingredients are coming from different countries or, you know, you've crafted a recipe yourself from a family recipe that's been passed down for generations. There's that whole factor of, you know, I trust this brand because it's a grandma's recipe or whatever it might be. And, and that authenticity shines through the packaging and it, and it really sells the product as is. It's not so much about, uh, you know, the trusted brands from stores, like even No Name is a, a brand that uh, is a lower cost brand, but it's trusted, right? And they have all of their food products out there. And it's, you know, it's not crazy with their branding or anything, but it's very simplistic in its message that, uh, you know, we're not trying to sell anything other than this product is what it is. It mm -hmm. just sells itself, which is great. And so I think every client is trying to do that for themselves and find the proper language through graphics and marketing to do that. But certainly authenticity is is huge. And, and that comes through again with being transparent with their consumers and, and giving them as much information as they can. Yeah. So we, we've built up sort of a lot of topics in this discussion so far in terms of all the way from the beginning of the supply chain through the product and then the label and, and marketing and the importance of transparency, building trust, et cetera, through that. I'm curious how you see that reflected in the shift that we've seen over the last two years of how consumers are acquiring their food and beverage products, meaning the shift, at least in, I would say, North America to much more e-commerce and significant, well, a reduction in people shopping at grocery stores for all of their food products, obviously because of the COVID situation. Do you see, what do you see as a shift for, toward e-commerce um, for the future 
for food and the, for the companies that you're working with? I think COVID really changed everything in the food industry in terms of uh, supply chain and the way products are produced and who's out there putting their products out because I think uh, people shifted a lot from their side hustle. So let's say they were selling at a market, they had like a, a sauce they were selling, all of a sudden it became like their their main business. For some reason, like working from home and everything just shifted the way everyone looked at things. So it boosted e-commerce immensely, which is not something we've ever seen before. The trend was going that way anyway, but you know it forced people to go into e-commerce and to buy their things online when COVID hit and we had all those stay-at-home orders. And so it not only shifted temporarily, I think people now who are accustomed to it just continue to use that platform. Mm. And because of that, it becomes that much more important for these brands to tell their story through their packaging as uh, boldly as they can. When you have a consumer who's just clicking and making a decision between a couple of products and trying to shop quickly online versus going through the aisles and having the time like they used to. So it, it really puts the onus on that manufacturer to be like, what can I do to stand out? What is it about my product that's going to make it stand out? How do I sell it? It's it's really changed the game. I mean, that's always been the thing. Like you, you only have a customer picking up within 10 seconds, they make a decision whether or not they're going to buy that product. But online, you only have, uh, you know, maybe the front of your package to show. You're not even getting the consumer's interest at the back of the package. So saying a story with the beginning, just with the front of your package whatever it might be, has become so much more important. And yeah, e-commerce is here to stay. I don't think it's going anywhere. And actually, a lot of these entrepreneurs are starting off their sales sales that way. They're doing it on their website Mm -hmm. instead of going to the local market. I think a lot of times they're doing the two-prong method where they're doing both. And it can be pretty overwhelming because they'll go to the market and sell a lot of things. And then all of a sudden, they're out of inventory. They go back into their sales in their website and they have to fill all these orders still. So I've heard that challenge come up a couple of times, but definitely websites are how they're selling things and, and that's not going anywhere. So if you have people come into your website or people are online already, having that very strong social media presence and website presence becomes that much more important uh, when mm-hmm. the consumer is trying to learn about who you are and what your brand represents. And that's, I guess, part of the benefit of, for example, having QR code interfaces, et cetera, is that works just as well in e-commerce as it does, you know, walking through a store. So that's good and and helpful. Uh, I'm wondering your experience and and your customers' experience with, you know, potential, potentially making it easier for them to get into the market and maybe a very, very broad national or international market through e-commerce versus having to what had traditionally been dependent on getting into a big chain you know, for most food products. And, and I think, like you described, a lot of companies or entrepreneurs would you know, they design their products because, you know, maybe they have to give up a little bit on this particular aspect because they know they need to satisfy big, massive chain. And there's a lot of requirements on those contracts versus do you see an ability for similar growth potential in e-commerce channels and maybe much less interest in, in putting people putting their products into large chains. I think the dream is still always for people to see their brands in, in the big chains. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's just like <laughs> a romanticized idea or what it is, but certainly that's always the end goal for a, a lot of people. However, e-commerce makes it so much easier uh, to prove that you have a product that has interest in it. 
So you can use that as incentive to then go talk to a large retailer and say, hey, I've sold this many units this month. This is my proven sales that they didn't need to go through a distributor or, you know, do the traditional methods as before, which is really changing things for people. Like they're giving themselves that opportunity to to show and prove that their product is worth getting out there in, in the retail stores because of their proven sales versus just doing it at a market or one or two retail stores and trying to prove the product that way. Mm. Um, the other really cool thing about e-commerce is it gives the um, the company the visibility as to which their best sellers are. Um, I think this is really interesting for people who might have uh, six or seven different SKUs and, you know, it's becoming harder for them to make all these different flavors week to week. So they can then look at how many people are actually purchasing which flavors um, and by sales, then reduce their SKUs and say, you know what, we're going to focus on these three or four because these are our best selling And they have those numbers directly because they're selling it through their website instead of a kind of going through the broker or that expectation of getting the information from Mm. the big box stores and and having that data put together for them. It does require a lot of time. It requires a lot of uh, their own efforts. And sometimes they don't have the time for that if they're doing a bunch of things and they're wearing 10 hats already, where I see a lot of opportunity for people to grow their brands and understand their consumers' purchasing uh, habits. And that's just something uh, that wasn't available before when you were doing it in the traditional method, unless you constantly speak to your broker or your distributor and your salespeople and try to understand your brand a lot. But when you're starting up and you're small or you're a mid-sized company, you just don't have those resources. So using those online sales can really catapult that understanding of who is my consumer? What do they want? What are they purchasing? How do I leverage that and and sell more of this product? Yeah. And it sounds like there's probably opportunity for you know other tech companies that can provide, let's say, easily consumable analytics um, to entrepreneurs. Because like you said, it's one that may not be a skill set that a amazing food focused entrepreneur has developing software. And two, it, it just takes time. There's a lot of heavy lifting involved. Have you seen any companies coming out looking at, you know, really trying to support the e-commerce side and make life easier, if you will, provide platforms and marketplaces for these um, entrepreneurs? Of course, there's the Shopify's, the Amazon's out there and great services. What else are you seeing emerging to support this sort of decentralization of food production? There are smaller distributors now online that are doing the same thing that a traditional distributor would do, but doing it online. So they'll purchase uh, the product in bulk and distribute it through sales on their website essentially. Uh, So it is different than the more traditional brick and mortar way that we used to do it. And um, along with that, like you mentioned the analytics, I think uh, a lot of companies now are understanding the consumer of what they're looking for. So that's a huge tool that's being used as a a marketing tool. Uh, When they go to search something, uh, a Google search, if they're going to click in gluten-free, like what goes along with the gluten-free? If I'm making a a gluten-free cookie, like what exactly are people looking for? And there's all these methods now to do analytics on search engines to understand more of the data that people are actually looking for. And it has a more focused, more focused way of doing your marketing when you understand what the consumer actually wants. So there's a lot of things in that conversation there of what you can do online now that maybe wasn't available before, but certainly the clicks on your website, like who's clicking on the website, where are they coming from? What website led them here? All of that is like a huge umbrella of understanding now that people can use 
to, again, understand your consumer a bit more and then market to that particular consumer even more, right? Because yeah. maybe you think you have a specific target consumer, but actually it's someone completely different than you thought. Like maybe you thought you were targeting that 18 to 34 year old, but actually you have the baby boomers that are really interested in your product. And you realize that through the analytics of your Google searches or whatever it is that you're mm-hmm. using for those analytics. Very interesting time for, for all of the mm-hmm. things uh, when it comes to online sales and websites. Yeah, I'm curious on in this area, as we were saying, there's one, there's great potential, great opportunity for people to understand you know, what's happening in the market and who their customers are, but it takes effort. For the entrepreneurs that you're advising, what's your feeling for how much time are they spending on that? And are they really being effective at it? Or could they be doing something more to be more effective in using that resource, that information resource? You have to have some knowledge on how to do it. So I always direct them to a marketing agency that would dedicate the time to do it. And whether it's a per project basis or whatever it is, um, particularly if they're in a new sector. So it's not for everybody. Uh, if you already if you're selling something that people are very familiar with, like a, a frozen vegetable or a frozen meal, maybe it doesn't need so much understanding of your consumer because it's already an established category. But if you're in a new product category and you want to understand your consumer, for example, a lot of the things in the vegan space, these are brand new things, um, the meat analogs or the plant-based milks. We don't know who the consumer is right now, per se. Uh, Maybe we used to think it was just vegans or vegetarians or people who cared about sustainability or the environment, but actually it's a lot of flexitarians. So those people that are kind of in between, like I eat vegan on the weekends or, you know, I care about this, but I'll float back and forth between my normal dairy and Mm -hmm. non-dairy things. Um, So that kind of uh, thing, it does pay off to put in some money into that research because you all necessarily know who that consumer is and it's evolving. So maybe that's where it makes most sense. And that's where I'll direct uh, my clients to talk to a marketing agency for that type of thing. Uh, Very specific to these new categories. But, you know, there's a lot of new categories coming out right now. So (laughs) a lot of opportunity for learnings right now. Yeah. Well, I'm curious if we were to look forward and using your crystal ball, you, as we know, have a tremendous amount of your own industry experience and expertise, but you're also on a daily basis working with literally the innovators in the space. What do you see coming, say, for next year and any types of new trends, expansion of trends that are maybe nascent right now, Um, and especially as the world's still dealing with the whole pandemic sort of mess and trying to work through that. What do you see coming next year? I think the huge thing is going to be sustainability. It's already in our faces now. We know that we need to be more aware as a consumer and be more conscious of what we're doing. But I think it's going to be forced upon the industry to care about it more and Mm. to invest in these opportunities just because of the supply chain shortages that we've learned through COVID is a very real thing. So if Mm. I'm purchasing my cocoa bean um, from somewhere in South America and there's a supply chain shortage, it's completely out of my control. What can I do for that in the future? And so sustainability becomes part of the conversation um, in using things that are already uh, waste products, for example, in other manufacturing facilities and reusing things and recycling and upcycling. Mm -hmm. All of these conversations are now becoming as well mainstream conversations with clients or with just in the industry in general, like what can we do about this issue that's facing us now? It's very much in our face. We know that our consumers care about uh, shopping local 
and about purchasing local and getting things from close by, uh, what can we do to leverage this? And we know they'll pay that extra dollar or two for the brands that are putting in that thought process because they want to feel like they are purchasing based on their values. And that's a huge mm. trend that came out of last year too. Mm. That people are very much uh, putting their, their money where their mouth is by saying, I will buy this product because uh, they care about sustainability and or they're doing something about the packaging. For example, compostable packaging is becoming uh, a huge thing now. And it works very well for certain product categories like dry ingredients, like granolas and, and cookies. It's still a challenge for those uh, more moist ingredients that perhaps don't have that opportunity. So there's an opportunity for innovation there and there's the interest from the consumer. And I think it's just been going to become a mandatory thing for people to take into account as we go forward with food product innovation in food and in packaging as well. Um, and I hope it's it's taken more into consideration because it's a very important time right now for us to, if we're going to be doing it soon, the development needs to start now pretty much mm -hmm. because of the time that it takes for product development. Really, the innovation needs to be starting now and the push for it needs to happen now so that we can see that a year or two down the road. Thinking forward always, uh, that's where I feel uh, the industry will move more towards and finding solutions with upcycled ingredients, I think a uh, huge thing, like with the breweries yeah. that are, are have all this uh, grain that's kind of a waste product, but it's still usable. And then you have these bakeries that are now taking that spent grain and making baked goods out of it, like that kind of thing. We're going to see a whole ecosystem around it and mm -hmm. people kind of conversing with each other of, okay, I have this waste product. What can I do with it? And then another a company saying, we can take this and it's actually part of our process. And just opening up that conversation between companies and between suppliers, I think that'll help the whole process of uh, sustainability and what we can do in our part in the food industry to ensure that we're we're doing something that makes a difference. Well, it's something I've heard um, some of the phrases we hear a lot is uh, concepts of circular economy are coming into the food space and these the phrases of upcycling. Of course, there's always recycling is a long-term one, but it's uh, really good to be seeing all of that come in. And frankly, I, I think a very encouraging and positive note to probably conclude this podcast on is that you as an expert working with innovators and experts also really foresee sustainability as being a core selling point, frankly, for food products you know, as we go into next year and beyond. A great vision for us all. I'm happy to see that you're behind that and uh, that all the, the people you're working with are as well. So thank you very much for being on the program today. It's my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. I love discussing these topics and I really hope that people uh, take all of these things into account as they're producing their products or with their new uh, ideas and innovations. Excellent. And certainly I think we've all learned that if people are looking for guidance and advice, you know, people should be contacting you, Karen Cardona, uh, the CEO and founder of True Leaves Consulting. Thank you again for being with us today. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 